And welcome to Citizen Dame, the film, the, no, it's not a film. We're a podcast that talks about films. Yeah, that's who we are. Hurrah! It's the weekend. Yesterday, I tried to open my car door with my house key. That's the kind of week I've had. <laughs> I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. One of these days you're going to introduce yourself as me and then I'm going to be like, oh no, I'm Karen now. <laughs> gonna happen it's fine you can have it for a while because (laughs) literally the first question anybody asks me now is do you hate your name like i didn't used to (laughs) (laughs) so unfair that like that name there's it's just me it's just not cool it's why that name exactly especially when everyone i know tells me that they've never met a karen that is actually a karen it's like okay then you guys picked the wrong name I understand yeah. the idea, but you picked the wrong name. <laughs> yeah, it used to be like Brittany or something like that. Like I, I'm trying to think of other some other name that like people, nobody yeah. has. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, how are you, Lauren? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. It's been a week. Yeah, it's been a week, but I'm good. It really has. It really has. This was. Ooh, this was a lot. But next week is going to be better. Yes. Because it just has to be. <laughs> I will not <laughs> accept another week like this one. Um, Palmer, chiller, like, you know, yeah. good, good stuff. Good stuff. By chiller, I hope you mean more chill and not like, ooh, chiller. More chill. Yes. Thank you. More relaxed, <laughs> man. Like, you know, I really need it. Cool. Chill. Yeah. yeah that's what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, this week is um, going to be my birthday, so I'm going to Disneyland for my birthday. My mom and I are going, so that's going to be fun. So that's where, for me, I'm like, yep, this is going to be a good week. Yes, it is. Happy birthday, Karen. Since, Thank you. Since this, this episode will come out after your birthday for everybody. but Yeah. Yeah, but yes. thank you. So because it's my birthday this week, we thought it would be really fun to talk about birthday movies and what kind of birthday movies karen that you suggested (laughs) lots of of birthday movies you know lots of you know there's 16 candles is a quintessential movie from the 80s and you've got movies like um um what else takes place on on birthdays city slickers a a fun billy crystal comedy lighthearted the movie encanto is a recent birthday movie there's lots of birthday movies i really wanted us to talk about happy death day because this is you know we love horror here on the podcast it's not a horror podcast but we do love horror movies and that's a fun comedy horror so i thought oh yeah let's let's definitely do happy death day and then i was thinking about it and i was like oh there's the game we've never actually to my knowledge i don't think we've ever done a david fincher movie 
let's do that. And then I realized, wait a second, we're building up a whole little subcategory here. Not just birthday movies, but fucked up birthday movies. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just go for the trifecta. And that's how we added in Child's Play. (laughs) (laughs) So all three of these movies take place on or around people's birthdays and involve well, in two cases involve really messed up birthday gifts. In the other, it's just a really bad day. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, how how do you feel about this category, Lauren, or this I think uh, it's, topic? I think it's great. These are all these are all films. Like it's been. I I, I said this. I said this off off ca- off camera. Whatever. Off recording last week. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the game in ages. Um, and and Child's Play is just. So so much fun i enjoy it's such an odd movie which i'm sure we'll talk about and happy death day is just a great like a really enjoyable slasher slash comedy slash groundhog day film mm. um so yeah it's i think that this is great i just find it very funny that you're just like well what movies would you like to do for your birthday well <laughs> And the game might seem like somewhat of an outlier between the other two because the other two are basically slasher films um but but the game is like all a different kind of fucked up (laughs) yeah exactly and i can't wait to talk about that one (laughs) but first let's talk about child's play we we like to go in chronological order here so so uh child's play it was released in 1988 it was um directed by tom holland not spider-man and not spider-man's dad they are not related um but uh the Tom Holland director of the 1980s, who also did movies like Fright Night and um, some other stuff, too. And uh, so Child's Play is about a single mom who, is, you know, she's struggling. They don't have a lot of money. And her son, who is turning six, Andy, he really wants this uh, this. Uh, what's it called? Not good time. Um, good, good, good guy. Good guy. This good guy doll. That's all he wants for his birthday. And she happens to find someone who's got them on the street for a good deal. So she buys it and brings it home, not knowing that there's a serial killer who just before his death transferred his consciousness into the doll. (laughs) As one does. Of course. course. As one does. I love how this whole thing like trades on this guy being into like, like kind of a, a, bullshit version of voodoo and like mm-hmm. also also it's very very 80s it's very like oh we're going to you know have witch doctors and chanting and things like that and of course it's uh, this is all bullshit right but yeah. it's it's a very 1980s it's just like oh he's gonna wind up in a, a fucking cabbage patch doll basically <laughs> yeah which i remember in the in the 80s this this toy came out it was my buddy and I feel like it was before Child's Play. So I don't think it was like, oh, you know what? That's a great idea. I think Child's Play was it was a response to um, the My Buddy doll. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I, according to some of the notes that I've seen, it's, um, it is absolutely like a reference to, to the My Buddy, the living doll concept, right? Yeah. And, but specifically to the My Buddy doll and that they deliberately changed, obviously, the, uh, the name of it because they didn't want to get sued. Right. But but to me as as a kid, so 1988, I was two. Um, (laughs) 
but as like I had Cabbage Patch dolls, I think my Cabbage Patch dolls are still in my parents' attic. In fact, so my immediate association um, when I watch Child's Play is Cabbage Patch doll. Like it's just like oh, it's like if a serial killer was in a Cabbage Patch doll. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like I mean I I remember the year that the Cabbage Patch dolls really hit and. I wanted one, but of course I didn't bother telling my mom this until really close to Christmas. So she had her own experience of trying to get me one at the last minute. Um, and, but the, my buddy was sort of the boys version and it was, it was a way to get boys to play with dolls without parents being mad about it because he's like a, a handyman, you know, and he has these tools and stuff and they had this catchy little cute song. Anyways, the whole thing, but um, but yeah, so Child's Play plays off of that and it really does, because um, that's one of the things about these these dolls is that they're creepy. <laughs> like you have a life-size doll that's the same mm-hmm. size as your kid and uh, and then they talk and there's just all kinds of inherent creepiness about that. So why not turn that into a slasher movie, which they did. And um, and yeah i i agree with you i love this movie because it's so quintessentially 80s i mean they definitely tried to remake this a couple years ago did not go well a lot of people (laughs) liked it but it's not a good movie the remake it's pretty terrible but they did use like ai technology and stuff like that so they were trying to make it a more modern version but i feel like this is something that's just so um that just really makes so much sense in the eighties because of some of the things that happened. Like one of the messages you sent me was something about nobody's saying anything about the six year old kids riding the subway. Well, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I I remember watching that and being like, that is a small child who's visibly unaccompanied. No (laughs) one at any point, like not a train conductor, not another adult, not a cop, not anyone is like, Hey kid, are you lost? You know, mm-hmm. not even that. Like we don't. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I I did not grow up in the 80s. Like I say, I was two years old when this this movie came out. Um, but I don't. I still don't think that that's normal, Karen. I'm sorry. I, that's <laughs> not like oh, it was the 80s. Like no, that's not normal. You don't like. I can't. I I am having difficulty envisioning no one being like that is a small and unaccompanied child. I, you know, I mean, I never have been to Chicago, so I can't speak to how it is in Chicago, but I have been telling you, we raised ourselves. Like Our parents were nowhere to be found. I was walking over on the bus stop at six years old by myself. Um, I like Go that's the bus stop. Go to the bus stop is what like, riding the fucking train. Yeah, no, but I mean, I'm just saying like I lived in the suburbs. We didn't have a train. Otherwise, I probably would have. <laughs> I had to write the train by myself. I had to wait until 10 to start doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it, it it it's not even that it was a different time. It's just like there's so much like I agree with you. This is messed up. I'm not saying this is normal. I'm just saying like, yeah, it tracks that people were just not paying attention to kids in the 1980s, which is why there were so many kidnappings. Oh dear. There were a lot of kidnappings. I mean, I was staying home alone with just my brother who was five. So I was basically babysitting my brother at age seven, eight. It was, and it wasn't even something that anybody else thought anything of. It was just like, yeah, of course, kids are old enough to stay home alone at night for hours. (laughs) Not just like, oh, I'm running to the store. Like (laughs) we were unaccompanied for hours. (laughs) Yeah. 
It was a different time, Lauren. <laughs> okay. If you say so, Karen. This is why we're all in therapy, but... <laughs> I was going to say, this explains so much about Gen X, to be totally honest. It Every does. time I hear a story, I'm just like, okay, I, yeah, all right. I get what, <laughs> what the, some of the issues were, but like, yeah. again, I, I was, I was two. So I was born at this time. I was a, I was a little tiny, but I was born. Um, but still like, I don't think my parents didn't let me stay home alone until I was like, I don't remember how old I was, to be honest. Uh, and I did, we did live on like nine acres of land and I had a massively big dog. I got to run around without um, shoes on for most of the year and um, wander around like <laughs> the backwoods of upstate New York <laughs> with me and my dog <laughs> like that. There was that. So I was basically Huckleberry Finn for part of it. But um, <laughs> anyways. Yeah. Anyway, so child's play. <laughs> so child's play. I I I do really enjoy this film. Like it it is so it's bizarre. It is bizarre, but I I like the fact it very much trades on, you know, those those the devil doll kind of concepts. Mm-hmm. Um but I think in a way that almost it's not just like oh this doll is possessed. It's like a very specific possession. He's got a personality. Um you know, Brad, what's his name? Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf, who, yeah. Dorf, yeah. Who's just so weird and creepy and wonderful. Um, and and one of the things I noticed in, in rewatching it this time was that uh, Chucky doesn't, like, you don't actually hear Chucky talk for a long section of the film, like the actual doll, mm-hmm. right? You What you hear is Andy talking to him. And then Andy saying, like, my doll's talking to me like he's alive. So it it creates this really interesting sort of balance where we're not, we don't totally experience what Andy is experiencing. So there is this like, this kid could could be going crazy, right? Like he's he's speaking to his doll. He's saying that his doll is telling him things, that his doll is alive, all of that stuff. And so when you do get to the point where we actually hear like Chucky speak and scream and like attack someone, um, it's 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 been built up really really well. It's actually quite like a good development of the monster, where there's this tension about like what is actually happening here. Yeah, and I think one of the other parts of that that really helps helps with the tension is not only do you not hear him for quite a long time, you don't see him move. You don't you, like there are a couple yeah. times where you see things from Chucky's point of view very early on, um, like going into that house that gets blown up and stuff, but. Um, but you don't actually see the animatronics of him moving or anything like that, which I think is is really smart because the technology at the time, I mean, even the technology now, um, would make that look really cheesy and it would very, very quickly date the movie, you know? And And so having some of that where you have to imagine it and just thinking about like, how messed up it would be if you turn around there's a doll sitting there staring at you that's not supposed to be there you know and that kind of thing and it just really does help add to that that growing tension yeah it's 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 very clever and it's it's the way that a lot of slasher movies work where you don't see the slasher for a long period of time you know you hear them there's hints of them you're like and of course in in this particular instance we see the lead up to him putting his soul into a doll right and then it kind of just cuts away from that and we get the story of this mother and her son and you know her getting chucky and and all of those things 
Um, and so, yeah, that, that tension builds really well. And of course, the viewer is aware of stuff that the, the people in the story aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we are very much like, yeah, we believe Andy because we've seen, you know, what happened earlier. Um, but it's completely understandable when no one else does. It's just like, you, you your doll is doing all of this <laughs> shit. Like, I do think it's very funny because there's like the murder of the babysitter, which made me very sad. Always makes me very sad because um, mm-hmm. I liked her as a character. She's a nice person who's just trying to be nice. Yeah. Um, but like all of that, all of that build up and then the blowing up of the derelict building. <laughs> and it's like a six year old kid is doing this. Just like, I really don't think that's true. But yeah, I understand why you came to that conclusion. It makes a lot more sense than a doll is doing it. Yes, as you said. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, what else? What, what, what specifically should we talk about with this? Should we talk about the the weird 80s not voodoo voodoo <laughs> uh i mean yeah we can it it reminds me a lot of something like candyman mm-hmm. um which goes into much more detail and everything but it's that kind of that fascination with you know and it's bastardized it's it's stuff that like you know it's ooh it's this creepy creepy magic stuff right but it's very much centered in, you know, this con- the concepts of voodoo and witch doctors and things like that. And in, in this particular story, it makes sense because you're talking about a doll, right? So it's this kind of interesting transference between the whole concept of voodoo dolls to, you know, putting someone's soul, you know, consciousness, et cetera, into this like creepy cabbage patch doll thing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I'm glad that they don't dwell on that too much because the 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 race racism could come up much faster. <laughs> yeah, like they they use it as kind of the the catalyst for getting the story going, but it's not like the the way to counter it isn't to go and do like a counter spell or something like that. So they don't have to dive into that world. It's just well, this happened, this transference happened. Now we just have to stop him because he's killing a lot of people well i like the whole idea that's that's developed of chucky gradually becoming human Mm -hmm. um because at one point he says like you know i shouldn't be able to be hurt but look i'm bleeding like and and there so there is like a lore basically that they're building up behind it and they do it really well because there's not too much of it it's not like you know we're going to go into all of the backstory of this serial killer right um we're just going to like give enough information that we're like, okay, we know the stakes. We know why he's doing this. We know that he's just a psychopath. Uh, and, and we know what the rules are in terms of how are you going to be able to defeat the supernatural killer? Mm-hmm. So it's very good. It's very clever actually. Like for, for such a, a silly movie in some ways, it's also very like to the point. Right. Right. It does get very silly, though, by the end, because even as he is becoming human again in this doll's body, uh, he gets he gets lit on fire and blown up and he still keeps coming back. (laughs) And it's like he can feel the pain when he gets shot in the face, but he's fine being set on fire. I mean, there's just something inherently comical also about watching these people fight a Cabbage Patch doll. Like, it's just, (laughs) it is just funny. Well, and I think the film kind of goes into that, too. It's like, this is silly. 
Mm -hmm. Like it, it is, it is campy, right? There is definitely the edge throughout the film. And in fact, I like the, the disbelief of the detective played by uh, Chris Sarandon the, and the, the, uh, the whole thing about like, you know, no one's going to believe us. No one's <laughs> going to believe what happened. Cause how do you explain this shit right. to anyone? And you've got like yeah. a, a burnt, a burnt doll there. It's just like, he killed a whole bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. At the end when they, you know, after things are resolved and the partner comes in and he's just like, well, I believe you, but who's going to believe me? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It's got that edge of humor throughout that is very like, um, it's, it's very believable. It's understandable. It's like, okay, yes, the, this, this is silly, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to say, um, sorry, this is going off of the movie a little bit, but like I mentioned the remake that they tried to do in 2019. Well, they did do it. It just wasn't very good. Um, but I have to give props to Brad, Brad Dorif and Don Mancini, who brought the, the show Chucky to the, to mm-hmm. TV. That show, it's also very silly and it's, you know, it's bringing it into modern day with some very weird choices, that show is actually a lot of fun. It's it's so goofy, but they did a good job with it and and it's a good time. The the current season, it's on hiatus right now because of the strikes and everything, but the current season, Chucky is in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> like that is and it it was so funny because when the season started, I was just like, why have I never why has nobody ever done a slasher movie in the White House? This is great. <laughs> it's a great idea. Uh, well, I, I have to say, so I think it was last year I decided, like, I'm going to watch a whole bunch of the child play films. And mm. so I started with child play and I, I think I made it up to Seed of Chucky, which I have not yet seen. Um, but but and they, they do they get progressively sillier. Yeah. And and they're intended to as well. And they also rely more and more on Chucky as a character, right? The, so Child's Play, like he's not on, he's present, but you don't actually hear his voice or his personality or anything for a huge chunk of the film. Right. Um, it's very much about Andy and his mom and her figuring out like the fact that her son's doll is possessed. Um, and, but it's, you know, as the films went on, it became more and more about Chucky because Chucky was entertaining and the camp level just kept on rising. So it it is actually a very silly and actually very fun series. Uh, and by the time you hit like Bride of Chucky with uh, with Jennifer Tilly, who's just all kinds of unhinged um, <laughs> in the it, best way possible. Yeah, in the be- I This this is complimentary, <laughs> like completely. Yes. Uh it's it really is just like one of the oddest slasher series but i like the fact that it continues to kind of just go go hard into the camp of it and the fact that like this is supposed to be scary and fun but it's also ridiculous Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, any other thoughts about child's play it's great birthday great birthday present like you know (laughs) Uh, yeah, definitely don't buy your kid a doll from someone who's just selling them on the street. Or probably eBay in this day and age. <laughs> buy them well, the from possess- a certified retailer. The possessed doll genre, you know, is just, is is such a rich one. And I know that you find it very creepy, but... um, 
but absolutely do. But part <laughs> of that is fun. because part of that is because my mom had a Patty Play Pal that she got when she was three years old. She still has at her house, and that thing was at the foot of my bed when I was five years old. <laughs> it's terrifying. You've got to. I've said it before. You have to see Dead Silence at some point. Like, <laughs> like I, you've just really yeah, I've been do. avoiding it's, that one. I will. It's admit so it. good. It's James Wan. It's James Wan, and it's just. It is everything you would expect from James Wan and Possessed Dolls. <laughs> I finally had decided I was going to watch it last year. And it was like the day that I decided it was when it came off of whatever streaming service it was on. I was like, it's, oh, it's a sign. It's, it's on Tubi. It's on Tubi right now. Okay. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it on there the other day. I was like, oh, that's such a good movie. All right. <laughs> Well, Child's Play is currently streaming. Where did on I Tubi. watch it? Oh, yeah. It's also on Tubi. Um, it's also on Hoopla, too. Hmm. So. Uh, so let's jump forward a few years to 1997 with the game directed by David Fincher. And we have Michael Douglas and Sean Penn, our brothers very wealthy brothers this is like a messed up version of sabrina (laughs) (laughs) it's not a comparison i was expecting wow all right but admit it i'm not wrong (laughs) not wrong but still (sighs) anyway so yes now we move from chicago with child's play to san francisco with the game and um basically Michael Douglas plays this wealthy banker guy who, um, you know, he's in the middle. He's a, he's a busy person. And his brother, who is very unpredictable and, and uh, irresponsible, just shows up one day and says, hey, I got you an, a birthday present. I mean, he could have just gotten the guy a gift card. That would have been great. But no, instead, he gives him this gift of go to this entertainment place and and it changed my mind it changed my life you're just not going to believe what's going to happen to you and that's true he did not undersell it (laughs) (laughs) but uh anyway michael douglas ends up in the middle of something that may or may not be a conspiracy to destroy his life and steal his money who knows or it could all be a game Yes. So learn. what are your thoughts about the game? So this is the second time I have seen the game. And <laughs> I remembered absolutely nothing about it except the ending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I think says something. I also do remember not particularly liking it the first time I saw it. So I was like, all right, well, this will be interesting to watch again. And it's because like I said, it's been a long time. Um, it's it's first of all, I mean, you know, if, we, if we're talking about the child's play being very 80s. Uh, this is very 90s, yes. very like the <laughs> late 90s thriller. It's really recognizable. And in some ways, I, I almost feel like because Fincher is a smart director. He doesn't always hit with me, but he is a smart director. Um, and I feel like in places it's almost intentional that it's playing off of some of those 90s tropes uh, and, and raising that question of like, is this all fake? Right. Is this is this all part of a game um, or is what's happening actually real? And uh, and what does that mean? You know, one of one of the issues that I continuously had with this movie, though, is that I just don't fucking like the Michael Douglas character Mm -hmm. and nothing in the film made me like him more. 
Um, so even as like he's being tortured, he's going through all of this shit. And I feel like at some point I should really begin to to sympathize with him, to be like, you know, oh, I, I feel bad for this guy because he doesn't deserve this. And I'm like, I don't feel bad for him at any point. So there was this weird tension of like, you know, his life is falling apart. And then I'm like, but I don't care. <laughs> So, and I, and maybe that's intentional. Maybe, you know, I'm supposed to feel like that, but it, it's a weird space where you don't feel this empathy for the character that you're following through most of the film. You're taking his perspective. Um, and he's, he's just so cold and distant, et cetera, that I just didn't feel strongly about him. I have to say, I feel that way about a lot of Michael Douglas's characters. Like, I mean, it might be him. Yeah, yeah it, it very much might be because, like, I remember Disclosure from also from the '90s, where he plays basically a victim of sexual harassment, and the the boss that is doing the harassing is played by Demi Moore. And it's like, yeah, this isn't this is also a worthwhile conversation because women are also capable of committing sexual harassment. But he was just such an unlikable dude that I didn't want him to win either. you know so maybe it's just michael douglas i don't know but i also think that this character i i I think that this character is intended to be unlikable i think this is kind of a david fincher thing he really likes playing with people that like bad things are happening to them and you're you're supposed to uh sympathize even though they suck and i think just i think a lot of people probably do sympathize with him it's just he's not somebody that you or i um like at all because he's not a likable person there's nothing about him that is ever really um redeeming as far as as sympathy or empathy or likability and i think that that is is i don't know how to explain it like i i think that that is all intentional i just think that for some people that character is somebody that they can still connect with and just for other people you just can't yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it, that's just the reality of a, you know, you, the, the subjective experience of watching yeah. a film and particularly a film like this, where so much of it relies upon him. Right. And and his characterization and watching him go through things uh, and and seeing, you know, his his entire life get progressively destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that that open question of what is actually going on. And and it is. It does feel like, and, and Fincher's films sometimes do admittedly leave me cold, as in they're very technically good, they're well put together, but they feel like a puzzle box that you're trying to solve and not really like a, a, something that you have an emotional connection to. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like, I actually really liked the movie The Killer that he just released a couple of months ago on Netflix. I thought it was a good movie. But again, a character, which I also have feelings about Michael Fassbender. Um, But that's another character where it's like, I don't, I don't like this person. And, you know, I'm, I'm on his side because that's the direction the movie wants me to be, but I don't like him. And it leaves me feeling cold. There's a lot of Fincher films that are like that. Um, Definitely, you know, Ben Affleck's character in Gone Girl, same thing. Um, And these are all good movies that I, I enjoy watching, but yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It definitely leaves me with a cold movie, cold feeling, which makes me not want to rewatch them over and over again. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a good description. Yeah. Um, but it's the thing about the game specifically that I find fascinating is that like there for me, there's a question of is this all intended or not as far as how we're feeling about certain things? Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is um, as the, as, as things progress, as he gets deeper and deeper into you know, he the, he comes across a guy that's choking in the street and then he ends up somehow at the hospital with this guy. But then the lights go out and then everybody disappears. He's just stuck with this waitress from the restaurant. Like things just get progressively weirder. He goes home and his entire house has been vandalized um, and things aren't, you know, people aren't where they should be and, and businesses disappear, you know, like all these things are just just progressively weirder. And it it gets to a very surreal place, but which all is basically leads to his family and friends, everybody who supposedly knows and loves and cares about this guy would be like, yes, we should definitely mess with him so much that by the end of this, he's going <laughs> to want to die. <laughs> that sounds it's- like a great idea. Yeah, the the whole thing, the whole structure of the film, and and I do think in some ways that this is a film that works best on your first watch when you are within that tension where you don't know what which direction the film is going. And there are a lot of directions that it can go. Mm-hmm. You know, this is all a game. This isn't all a game. Some of it's a game. It's a game that got out of control. You know, all of those different things. And, and, and Fincher is very good in the sense that he builds that in various places where the character is constantly discombobulated and questioning what is actually going on, right? right? And so it's the viewer. The viewer is going like, what is real here? Like, is this, is any of this real? Like, what, what is the the story going to wind up being? Um, and in that sense, it's, it's good because it knocks you off balance. <laughs> My problem with it is that at the end of the day, at least with the ending as it is, it all feels like a gimmick. Yeah. Um, it feels, and I've criticized other filmmakers for this as well. Uh, one of my, you know, I, I, I don't like Christopher Nolan, but the, I feel the same way about a number of Christopher Nolan's films, especially stuff like Memento, where it works on first watch until you actually begin thinking about it. Yeah. And then when you begin thinking about it, it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Not, not just that it doesn't make any sense. It's incoherent. It doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so rather than the sensation of like being kind of moved around and and uh, the narrative sort of knocking you about a little bit, it's just more like, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> like it doesn't I, it's not it's not right. It doesn't it doesn't fulfill what it, its own project. Um, yeah. And I feel that way about the game that, yeah, by the end of it, it's like, OK, we're going to have this, you know, blunt moment of <laughs> flinging himself off a fucking roof uh and that that was the whole goal of it. <laughs> like it needed to get to that point like there's so much and then the ending is just like oh everything's fine it's like it's no it's not it's, <laughs> like there's, did there's... somebody give him a gift card for therapy yeah exactly <laughs> And, and and the thing is, the film then doesn't add on a little coda or anything like that that sort of says, oh, maybe this is still a game. Like, it's, there's no little punch at the end that yeah. is that, you know, again, knocks you off balance. And I, I feel like it kind of needed that. It needed something more other than just like, and it's over. Yeah. Well, and, and for me, one of the things that and I, I mean, you can really 
you can really tear this apart or you can give David Fincher the benefit of the doubt. The kind of the choice is yours because I feel like um, there's a reading of this film where you can look at how just insane it gets, how batshit some of these things are that happen that turn out to all not be real. But, you know, just, as it gets progressively crazier, um, you can look at that as for us, for anybody who's just kind of sitting by watching all this happen, we would know this is obviously not real. Like this is just too ridiculous, but he's so, he's so in the middle of it and so full of anxiety and not knowing what's real that of course he's going to miss all the obvious signs of things Mm -hmm. that are, that are, you know, indicating that he's in a game. Like for me, the guy that collapses in the middle of the street when he leaves the restaurant, that looks so fake. And it's one of those moments of like, I was actually thinking about this. It's like when I used to, I used to really love the show Law and Order. I used to watch it all the time. And there would be times where you'd have these, these people that the police are questioning and the performances are so awkward and weird that it's like, okay, is this supposed, is this a good performance of an actor who's pretending to give a bad performance or is this just (laughs) a bad performance? And so that's how I felt sometimes watching the game was like, is this supposed to look ridiculous or is that just a moment where it just looks bad and fake? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. And I, I think that I do, I didn't want to give Fincher the benefit of the doubt. I don't think the film works ultimately like as a whole. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are, I think the concepts are really good. And I think that the progression is really well done um, because I, I think that you also get that doubt that he has throughout, like he keeps on saying like, this doesn't make sense. But of course, if you, I mean, it's one of those, if you see someone collapse in the street, your immediate reaction normally is to be like, oh my God, someone has collapsed. You don't think about, you know, like, does this How look that real? affects you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just like, oh my God. Yeah. And, and, but then to, to see someone who is this guy who is in the middle of a game, maybe, um, it makes us be like, wait a minute, is this real? Is it not real? But it, no, I, I have to do something because what if it is real and this guy's dying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think that it does well at striking that balance and and drawing those things into question and and stuff like that. And then I think it, it falls apart more and more as the film goes on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it begins to lose that and it, it, fall, it, it falls deeper and deeper into what's basically a standard 1990s thriller that has a twist ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because there's all kinds of questions of like, well, what if he had just decided to stay in Mexico? <laughs> you know, like certain things, yeah. like what would they have done to keep him back in the game, you know, or whatever. But but yeah, I want to talk a little bit more specifically now about the ending, because I agree with you. It did need a little extra punch at the end, because basically he ends up in this confrontation up on the roof of a building and he thinks that he's been robbed. He thinks that all of the money that he's in charge of, not just his own personal wealth, but like all the money he's in charge of is gone, that this has been a plot to rob him. And, um, and that's one of the things I think one of the only people that he ever talks to that is like not part of it is when he's talking to the accountant who's like, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. There's there's nothing. And then he thinks because of his paranoia. Now he thinks that that guy's lying to him. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they end up in this confrontation up on the roof and he he just swan dives off the roof through breakaway glass. Like, I want to know what the budget was for this game (laughs) because they had to go in and replace all those glass panels with breakaway glass (laughs) for his birthday dinner. 
And he comes out of it surrounded by everybody he knows that's there to celebrate his birthday, who've all been waiting for him to fall through that roof onto this giant, like, blow up thing, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how messed up is that? Everyone's like, yep, we're waiting for him to try to kill himself or be murdered because that was the other option. Because mm-hmm. there's a part where this, like, actor tells him, if you hadn't jumped, I was supposed to push you. what is this this is so messed up it's like a long fall too that is not Mm -hmm. a small building (laughs) well because at that point you you don't know like what's gonna happen now was was because even if you think this has all still been a game now he's just jumped off a roof like it you know Mm -hmm. that it it really does kind of um it's the crescendo of the tension because now you don't know, did he just kill himself when he shouldn't have? Yeah. Like I didn't, the uh, you know, like when I first watched it, I did not imagine. I thought that's what I thought was that like, Oh shit, this went horribly wrong. Cause now he's just killed himself. So it just really, yeah. it's that crescendo of tension. Yeah. And, and again, I think that again, I think it works on first viewing yeah. and then doesn't work on any subsequent viewing. Correct. Because because if you already know where it's leading, um, it's this shocking moment, right? It's just like, oh my God. Um, but then if you step back, just like, wait a minute, that doesn't what? <laughs> like, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work in any way. Um, and yeah, and I, I think that that's where the film I think that's the film's weakness. And and it that's where it kind of it falls apart. The the other place that it it falls apart in that is that the whole thing is about like his father right and like his father killing himself and him at the same age right and so him thinking that he's going to fulfill it and i feel like again it doesn't go far enough with that we don't get enough i agree it's like his father killed himself by jumping off of the roof and that's really all we have we don't and that this haunts him in some way but we don't get tons of further background to that or tons of depth to what that means to him really yeah um it's just like okay so this this is kind of the thing that is going to inspire him to eventually kill try to kill himself and have a birthday party i don't know um but so it feels like it should be this major moment of catharsis where he he fulfills his father's fate or whatever and survives and isn't dead and is like able to move on with his life and everything and it just falls flat as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, because we haven't really had a depth to that. Right. And because it basically just ends there. It, he, you know, he comes out of it. He finds out that this has all been part of it. He's talking to everybody. And then he's just kind of like, oh, you guys got me. Can I get that waitress's phone number? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is, even if he comes away from that situation, okay and even a little bit healed after because obviously because like you said i mean his father's death even though we don't know a lot of details about it it obviously had a huge impact for him because it comes up over and over throughout the movie and so yeah we never you know he he never ever really really deals with that we don't see that Mm -hmm. because it just ends right there and we also don't get the sense of how much this this post-traumatic stress is going to linger because (laughs) even knowing something was all a game like how does he not be completely paranoid and you know and anxious all the time now 
Where where is yeah. that? You know, where is that reckoning? Yeah, it, it, and it doesn't. The film doesn't give you enough. I think to say like like I say, I think it needed that uh, some kind of final punch at mm-hmm. the end. That some some sort of indication that maybe they're still playing, right? Right. Um, or to, at least that keep, he thinks they might still be playing. Yeah, to keep the viewer and the character kind of off balance, and that that would be it. Would, it wouldn't close it off as cleanly, but it didn't. It needed to be more open. Actually, yes, I totally agree with that. The last thing I just wanted to mention really quickly is that the opening of this movie is uh, the opening credits of Succession. (laughs) (laughs) Almost exactly. Like there are certain shots where I was like, that is exactly from the opening credits of Succession. (laughs) So, uh, so kudos to um, uh, the Succession folks for, for homaging David Fincher in such a a sly way that nobody has really talked. I have not seen people talk about that. No. Um, and I don't think it's that nobody noticed. It's just that nobody really noticed enough to to make it a thing. And oh, Succession ripped off David Fincher. You know, but, I don't know, man. I feel like if the film bros had noticed that, we would have heard about it. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably <laughs> true. Either for praise or for condemn condemnation. You know, one one or the other. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, but it's pretty funny. Like, go if you've seen Succession. Go watch the game again. Just the opening and just it's so it's wild. <laughs> like the film grain, everything about it is is the same. So. Yeah. All right. So that's going to bring us to our final movie today, which is Happy Death Day from 2017. <laughs> and I I love this movie so much. It's it's just so fun. <laughs> like. It's a slasher movie, but it's just it's a fun one. I I really like it. Um, it's a great idea. It really is a great idea. I'm surprised that no one had done something like this before. Yeah. yeah. It's directed by Christopher Landon, who um he first of all, he's the son of Michael Landon, but he also did Freaky. Um he he did one of the paranormal activity movies too, I think, or a couple of them. Maybe he did all of them. I don't know. Um anyway, he's done a he's done a bunch of of stuff in that kind of horror realm, but he plays really well with with horror comedy, which is one of the things that I'm glad to see him do more of. He was supposed to do the next Scream film, but decided to step away from that. It wasn't working out, so which is a little bit too bad because I think that if anybody was going to capture the magic like Wes Craven had, I think Christopher Landon's the one that could have done that, but oh well. It's not to be. Um, although personally, I wish they would just let Scream go and move on to something else. But that's another story. <laughs> All right. So Happy Death Day is about a college student, Tree, played by Jessica Roth, who um, wakes up the morning of her birthday in a dorm room of a boy she does not know and uh, lives through the day, gets killed at the end of it, and then wakes up again and does it all over again (laughs) and at some point at the end of the movie someone does acknowledge oh this is like that movie groundhog day (laughs) so they don't pretend that that movie doesn't exist which i appreciate (laughs) um but yeah so happy death day it's it's a good time there's there's a serial killer involved there's crazy roommates and so it's like it's a perfect blend of college slasher movie and also just fun campy 
you know, fun zaniness. So what are your thoughts about Happy Death Day? I love this movie. It is so much fun. Um, it's like, like I say, I just love the, I love the concept to begin with. Cause a slasher movie groundhog day as a slasher movie is just a great idea. Like it just <laughs> <Yes>. is. <laughs> and, and what I really like is the way I, I, I like the fact that this handles it as a comedy, right? It doesn't take it uber seriously, but it also makes it funny and scary. So it does hit that scream kind of balance. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the whole progression of her, like figuring out what the fuck is happening, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, and then figuring out like, okay, so what do I do? <laughs> like, I keep on dying. Uh, <laughs> I've got to figure out who is killing me and maybe that's going to break me out. Right. Mm-hmm. But then also dealing with like those interpersonal relationships that she's not a nice person, particularly, um, she she's kind of a jerk right and she learns through her experience of being murdered every day uh to to you know be a better person and to be a kinder person and everything it's just very well done i think that um uh, what's her name jessica jessica roth is fantastic like she's very likable and enjoyable to watch uh and and as the film goes on you feel you learn more about her you see more into like why she behaves as she does um like her relationship with her father uh her memories of her mother things like that it's just it gives a good a good bit of depth to a story that could have been very superficial while also allowing it to be you know this funny strange slasher comedy uh that that just you know the the whole thing with the killer with the baby mask which is just creepy to begin with (laughs) and honestly like is a good is a good reference to to child's play that we were talking about earlier it's just like oh yeah creepy doll baby doll thing like it's just creepy it's weird um but is is it's just really clever and uh and really likable and unfortunately i i watched happy death day to you which i was not a big fan of i think it goes too far into the sci-fi elements um even though it does some interesting things but the the original is just so well paced and enjoyable and like yeah i i love this movie (laughs) i really do like the sequel but i think that this is they're very different movies very different types of movies and um yeah but i i love i love happy death day it's i i think one of the things that i really enjoy about it is i mean jessica roth is beautiful and so tree is this this gorgeous character who's getting hit on constantly and people notice her and stuff and and that's such a um it's funny because so many of these like slasher movie like final girl type of movies or whatever hinge around that that girl who's pretty but doesn't know it or she's cute or mousy or whatever and this is like no this is just a hot girl who everybody knows is hot you know and she's part of she's part of the popular sorority on campus and and she's she's not a nice person and um and yeah like as you were saying through her experiences and and having to basically having to face the way she and the people that she's close to treat people over and over and over again having to see very specific interactions again and again makes her eventually realize oh man I suck. I need to do better. And Mm -hmm. I've really been hurting people. And this isn't actually who I am. This is just what I've become in the last couple of years because of this tragedy that happened in my life. And, and I really like that, that progression feels natural. It doesn't feel like, 
it it doesn't it feels like she's because of this experience not just becoming a better person but actually becoming more of the person that she would have been if you know if if things hadn't happened yeah that's 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 a really good point and i i think that jessica roth plays it really well that you believe the progression as well it's not this sudden moment of like switching and and it's very you know again it's it's very much what happens in groundhog day where you begin where this character goes through this like first disbelief right of what's Mm -hmm. happening and then kind of the sense of okay nothing matters um i can do anything basically and it's not going to matter because it's all going to end the same constantly and then actually through that growth and through the growth is is where she begins to figure out what is you know what's happening who's doing this to her why they're doing it uh and how to break out of it yeah and yeah it's it's very well done actually yeah something else that i think is really smart about this too because you don't get this sense in groundhog day or in the movie palm springs was it also another good um movie like this that's it's it's not it's not like groundhog day and it's not like happy death day but it's a you know time loop movie um but also a good one but you don't get with groundhog day or palm springs this sense of consequences whereas in happy death day there comes a point where she collapses ends up in the hospital and they have to run all these tests and they're like you should not be alive you know and she her body through all the things that she's been doing Mm -hmm. every time she's died there's actual injuries and scar tissue that's been developing so this is something that there's actually like a physical thing she's not just resetting the day she's actually experiencing yeah uh, injuries and pain and she wakes up with the the anxiety every single day and it's getting worse and worse as she's figuring out what's going on and how to how to solve it mm-hmm. i just i like that i like that there's... yeah i yeah i i, I agree there's the, the it's that's the consequences of what is ap- of what is happening it's um it also makes things speed up as well because you're like okay she's got to figure this out mm-hmm yeah. Because uh, if she doesn't figure it out, she actually is going to just be dead eventually. Right. <laughs> um, and she realizes that, too. So it's not it, it gives the film extra tension and it makes certain that like, OK, we have to come to a conclusion on this because otherwise she's going to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. It also I, one of the things I like is that it plays with that, you know, the slasher movie where, you know, you get multiple kills and who's going to die next and all this. She's the one that's going to die next. She's yep. always <laughs> going to be the one who's going to die next. Yeah. And it's very, again, very clever. Yeah. Occasionally there's collateral damage, but mostly yeah. it's just her over and over again. And it, the question isn't who, but how. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get to the the actual resolution at the end, it's it's so fun because she thinks she's out of it and then she dies one more time and wakes up like there's there's no way like how could that possibly have happened (laughs) and just when she figures it out it's oh it's brilliant Mm -hmm. it's very sharp (laughs) yeah yep any other thoughts about happy death day no it's a lot of fun uh if, if people haven't seen it um we did not spoil the ending because no we didn't uh it's it's just it's a fun movie and it and actually the violence isn't too much like it's not it isn't even scream level violence yeah um it's it's kind of scream light i guess yeah i think that's a good comparison this is also a pg-13 slasher movie not an r-rated one so that's i think part of it but 
Yeah. Jessica Rothman. I don't know why she's not a bigger star. She's great. She's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, happy birthday, Karen. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for this week then. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We especially want to thank our patrons. We have a couple of new ones. So welcome to all of you. Um, our patrons are Abby, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. If you would like to join them and become a patron too, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and signing up gives you early access to episodes, sometimes bonus episodes. We have some buttons and fun things like that. And you also just get to live in the, the knowledge that you are helping keep feminist film criticism alive and well on the internet where it needs to be. And uh, yeah, you can also support our show with our ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And we have our Etsy store, etsy.com slash shop slash citizen dame pod. And then there's lots of ways to to find our work and keep up with what we're doing Uh, on the daily we have our website citizendamepod.com and you can reach out to us by email citizendamepod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts or questions or anything like that Um, only nice things though and you can find us on our socials we are a lot of the places at citizendamepod so twitter instagram blue sky you can find us at citizendamepod letterboxd we are letterboxd hq and you can find us over there at citizendame and uh, you can also reach out to us individually. Lauren, where are you? I'm on the various socials, except for Twitter. I'm pretty much not there anymore. Um, at LH Business. And I am on all the socials at Karen M. Peterson. So thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you next time. Bye.